With Capella University's FlexPath learning format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show. Today on the James Altucher Show. What is going on with GameStop and AMC? What is going on? Is this something that's never happened before? And even if you're not interested in Wall Street or trading... This is a very important story to follow for reasons other than stocks. This affects all of Wall Street, all of business, even all of Washington, D.C. It affects companies. And guess what? It also affects Bitcoin. But what is going on? I explain exactly what is happening. But more importantly, and I haven't seen really many places do this, I explain why this is happening and why it's a bigger picture from a societal perspective. Let's talk about GameStop stock. I almost never talk about stocks on this podcast, but this is a weird event that has a lot of implications even outside of the stock market, has, even has implications on Bitcoin. And I haven't talked a lot about Bitcoin because it's been making its move. I mean, like GameStop went up 200 points today. Yep. It went up 134%. And I don't know too much about the company. I've like shafted it once or twice with my kids. Right. And it was feeling before that too. Like during the lockdown, it almost went bankrupt because I no one shop in the store anymore. GameStop is like the blockbuster of games, yep. right? There's yep. no reason to go to GameStop ever. You could buy your games yep. online. That's what people do, right? Like Jay, where's the last 10 places you bought games? You're a game player. I, yeah, I bought it on Amazon, on, on Steam, and everything It's on internet. It's digital. Like, if I want a physical copy, I just go Amazon. I, I would never go to GameStop because, first of all, their shipping takes so long. And then, you know, sometimes they're a little bit more expensive than the other people. I mean, GameStop was at 4 bucks in mid-2020. And yep. now it's at, I mean, it's up 7,200% from that. It's up right. to 347 and 51 cents right now. And it's not because this is a good company. So I don't know all of the ins and outs of the GameStop company. Like you said, it's kind of been obvious to everybody for a long time that GameStop is heading in the direction of Blockbuster. And by the way, it's the direction that unfortunately, and I really say that sincerely, unfortunately, Barnes & Noble is heading, the, heading in this direction because everyone misses bookstores. I miss bookstores. I love going to a bookstore for hours and hours and getting a whole pile of books, getting a coffee and really spending my time 
figuring out which books I want to buy. But here's what I noticed when Borders was going bankrupt many years ago, which is that every time I went into Borders, every week, there were fewer books. There are fewer shelves with books on them. And I would ask the people at Borders, are you going out of business? It seems like there's fewer books here than last week. And they would always be like, no, 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 we're just re, we're redecorating. And it's just now the same things happen. Before the lockdown, I noticed the same thing was happening at Barnes & Noble. Every time I'd walk in there, the central bookshelves in the center of the store, when you walk in, there were fewer and fewer shelves. There were fewer shelves in every category. And so I have a feeling Barnes & Noble is on the ropes. Now, who knows if they were helped quite a bit by the PPP loans or whatever you call them, but Barnes & Noble is the business model, unfortunately, is going out of style. And you know, a lot of types of retail are, are going out of business. So we'll see what happens. I can't make any predictions, but GameStop was sort of obviously going to go out of business. They needed a new plan and the plan wasn't coming. Like maybe a few years ago, they needed to get into esports or whatever. Nevertheless, I, I'm not a, an expert on GameStop stock. And the reason I say that is when you invest in a stock, like what Warren Buffett always suggests, you have to imagine yourself as an owner of the company. The few stocks that I actually own I know so much about them. I feel like a real owner of the company. And I and that's when I'm able to make a very kind of low risk bet because I've done an enormous amount of research. So the reason I say this is because I'm no more an expert on GameStop stock than anyone else because just peripherally knowing the history of business and the business of history, I can say GameStop, I have the same opinion everyone else does which is another reason why one shouldn't invest if you have the same opinion as everyone else. But my opinion is basically it's going to go out of business. Who knows if it does? I'm not making a prediction. That's just my gut. Again, if I was an expert in the company, I would know everything, the whole history of the company. I would know, I would probably personally know the CEO. I probably would have called him up or flew there, arranged to meet him and did all sorts of research and on and on and on. Know the whole sector, know the whole competition. I don't know that. But that's only one reason to invest. That's I'm a long-term investor in my old age. I used to day trade where you don't need to know everything about a company in order to day trade. And I don't like, I don't really enjoy day trading. It was very stressful and I don't like it, but I do like long-term investing, but here's what's going on with GameStop. And there's a lot of reasons why it's insidious, but also a very good thing. So First off, let me explain a couple of terms. For some people listening, this might be basic. For some people, it might be a little advanced. I'll try to tread the line. But first term to know is what is a short? So when I buy a stock, let's say if I buy a stock at 10 and it goes up to 20, I just doubled my money. If I bought buy a thousand shares of a stock at, at $10 a share, then it cost me $10 times a thousand, cost me $10,000. And if it goes up to 20, I can sell it and I get back $20 times a thousand. I get back $20,000. So I made a profit of 10,000. So that's buying a stock. Shorting is the exact opposite. So shorting a stock, let's say I short a stock at 20. I short a thousand shares at 20. I am betting that the stock will go down. So if the stock goes down to 20, then I made, and, and, and if I do what's called cover, which is the opposite of selling. If I cover my short I, at 10, I made 20 minus 10 times $1,000. So I made $10,000. If the stock goes from 20 to 30, if I short it, and then I cover my short, which means I get rid of the short, I lost 30 minus 20, which is 10, 
times $1,000. So I lost $10,000. Now, when you buy a stock, the most you can lose is 100%. But you can make, as people have made with GameStop, you can make many, many times 100%. If, if GameStop, I mean, GameStop did this, it went from four to 340. That means people made, again, 7,200% if they bought it. Now, if you went short GameStop at four, and believe me, a lot of people were short GameStop at four. The problem with shorting a stock is that you could lose more than 100%. If you short a stock at four, and let's say you short a thousand shares at four, so you're betting GameStop will go down, you short a thousand shares. Let's say it goes up to a hundred, okay? You now lost 100 minus four, 96 times a thousand shares. So you spent $4,000, but you lost $96,000. So the problem with that is you can go bankrupt. So I knew this guy in 2006, he shorted a stock at five and he shorted a, a big amount. He was convinced this stock was going to zero and he went to sleep one night. The next morning he wakes up to the news that the company was bought for 25. So he lost and he, he shorted like 100,000 shares some huge amount that he should, this is why you shouldn't invest too big when you don't really know what's going on or when the risks are too big. So on a $500,000 investment, because he shorted a hundred thousand shares at five. So it cost him $500,000. He lost 20 times. He lost $2 million. He went bankrupt. He had to file for bankruptcy and he was just, I don't know if he ever got his life together after that. I lost touch with him. Like he was, he was super depressed and he went broke and he, he probably still owes the money on that loss. It's, you have to pay all that money back and you can't get any loans to buy a house though. Unless you go bankrupt, it never goes away. I think he did file for bankruptcy. And then that was around the last I heard of him. He used to be a CNBC commentator actually. And, uh, which shows you the quality of those things. So shorting has the huge risk of personal bankruptcy and unlimited loss. Whereas buying a stock has the potential for unlimited gain and you could only lose hundred percent, which is still pretty bad, but you're capped at how much you could lose. So that's just the basics. Now, what happened with GameStop? It's called a short squeeze. And so what's a short squeeze? Well, let's say you're my friend and let's say you're, you, you shorted hundred thousand shares at five and suddenly it goes up to seven and you're like, oh my God, I didn't think I would be down $200,000. Or worse yet, the bank says, hey, you just shorted your entire bank account. Now you owe us $200,000. We're forcing you to cover. What is covering? It's how you end a short. Just like selling is the way you end a buy. When you short a stock, you cover it when you're done. Anybody in this situation would have to cover. And sometimes the bank realizing there's a potential for unlimited loss, if there's a news, for instance, that happens, the bank forces you to cover if you are short more than your bank account can afford. So what happens in a short squeeze is that people are excited about the stock for one reason or other. They drive the price up very quickly and all the people who are short are forced to cover. When you cover, you have to buy the stock. So when you short, it's a way of selling the stock before you buy it. And when you cover, you buy it after you sell it. And hopefully you buy it lower than you shorted it for. So covering is the same as buying. So everybody who is forced to cover the stock are more buyers. So already buyers were coming in to GameStop, for instance, and 
the people who were short also had to buy or else they would lose too much money. So that's called a squeeze because it's like it double, if the sometimes stocks have almost as many people shorting it as buying it. So that could be double the volume of people buying shares back rapidly so they don't lose more money. And that drives the stock up because more people are buying. There's more demand and the supply was the same as the day before. But the demand is not only from the people who want to own the stock, but the people who are covering, the people who hate the stock, they have to buy it because they're covering their short. So was that kind of um, understandable, Jay? Yep. I mean, I'm still trying to grasp it, but I think it's understandable. So just imagine you're betting against something instead of betting for it. Right. If I would think Tesla is going to be huge, I would bet for Tesla. If I think Tesla is overvalued, I would bet against it. But the short squeeze, though, is when people don't want to lose too much money. So they are forced to buy back their short or else right. they lose more money. And just like you and I discussed casually at the beginning of this, oh, GameStop's certainly going to go out of business. Well, a lot of people thought that. And so they were short GameStop under the assumption that eventually it was going to go to zero. Like, for instance, I'm looking at an article right now. Why GameStop is, de is destined to become another blockbuster video. So it doesn't take a genius. I mean, I, I haven't been in a GameStop in like 15 years. It doesn't take a genius to just have a random opinion that GameStop is going to go out of business. And here's an article on Yahoo Finance right now that GameStop is going to be another blockbuster. By the way, did you know there's one blockbuster that still exists? Yeah. Uh, is it somewhere in, is it Utah or somewhere? No, I think it's in Washington. It's Washington? Yeah, they get tours and then, or something yeah and and all the all the like classic or vintage like the the what's it called the cut up poster or cut up cardboard it's all all there yeah so i've never visited that store but you know there's eventually there's going to be hey it's the last GameStop. <laughs> you remember that time there was a short squeeze on it man that yep. was classic but here's the thing so what happens is let's say you shorted GameStop at four and jay let's say you shorted ten thousand shares like you were convinced because of your experience in gaming yep GameStop was going to go bankrupt. You shorted 10,000 shares, $40,000 worth, because it's four times 10,000. It was trading for $4 a year, less than, less than seven months ago. Then it goes up to 10. So now you're down 10 minus four is six, six times 10,000. You're down $60,000. So you think, oh my gosh, GameStop's going out of business, but I can't afford to lose this kind of money. My bank's going to foreclose on me soon. So you, you buy the stock, you cover your short, and your buying now sends stock up a little bit more. So all these thousands of short sellers had to buy at 10. And then new shorts came in. People like you or me said, oh my gosh, GameStop just went from four to 10. Are you kidding me? This company's going bankrupt. How could it be worth 10? So we short it now. We're like a new generation of short sellers. And then we bet against it, but then other people are buying it so the stock slowly goes up from 10 to 20. And now we're thinking, oh my gosh, it's at 20. I'm losing $100,000. I got to cover this. And so now we have to buy. So that sends even more buying in. So now other people say, oh my gosh, GameStop just went from four to 20. That's crazy. I'm shorting it. And so a new generation of people start shorting it. So this is what happens in a short squeeze is that the stock keeps going up against all rational behavior and you know all rational thinking. And so more and more people start shorting it, but other people are buying it because they have to, because they can't afford to lose money from their older shorts. Meanwhile, if people sniff out that there are a lot of short sellers, and by the way, the information about which stocks are heavily shorted is publicly available. If people sniff out that there are a lot of short sellers, 
they will do what happened with GameStop, which I'll get to in a second, but they will start buying in massive amounts the stock forcing people to wake up every morning, think, oh my God, I'm going to lose money on this short. I better cover. And so that sends more buying into the stock. So right now, GameStop has gone from four to 340. This is a company that's probably worth zero dollars that's worth billions and billions of dollars now. Like it's insane what it's worth. Like, like now I would even say, by the way, yesterday it was at 200 and I was thinking to myself, man, if I was in this game right now, I would short it at 200. Well, guess what? Today's at 347. So I could have lost a lot of money. A lot of people probably did short it yesterday and covered it today, losing a ton of money. In fact, a two and a half billion dollar hedge fund, it's run by a guy, Andrew Left, forgot what the name, uh, name of the fund is, Citron, I think. Citron Research, but uh, I know of two hedge funds that gave up and lost billions of dollars. Uh, one fund that was um, about two and a half billion dollars, I think might've gone out of business um, because they shorted GameStop. Like that's how serious it is when you lose money on a short, you could lose infinite amount of money. And here's what happened. Here's why everybody's talking about it. Not only because the stock's gone up from four to 340. I mean, could you imagine, like I own, I own, there was a there was a private company, Rap Technologies, that I'm a big believer of. I owned when it was private, and then it went public. Now it trades for between five and six, whatever. Imagine if you own a stock at four dollars or five dollars, and it goes up to three hundred, and you have you know I have a pretty major position. This is one of the few companies I am a strong believer in. I mean, I even discussed this company with Andrew Yang on the podcast, and if it had gone to 300, that would be so life-changing. It would be unbelievable. But some people that happen to on GameStop. So it's like winning a lottery. And so you could imagine that a lot of like people are very excited. If you owned even a thousand shares at $4, you'd have $347,000 worth of GameStop now. And it's only up. Here's what happened. A lot of these hedge funds we're going short GameStop. And Citron Research had put out a report even saying why GameStop was going bankrupt eventually. Just saying all the obvious stuff. But Citron Research is a well-known short seller or they were, they were well-known and respected until this moment and now they're crushed. So a lot of people get angry at the short sellers because some young retail investors might say, hey, I only had like a thousand shares or 5,000 shares of this company. And now this guy is like writing a whole report trying to bash the company. You don't know if they're biased or not because they also are short the stock. So Citron Research put out their report after they had built a very sizable position betting against the stock. And so all these retail investors started talking on Reddit, you know, the message board system. And they said, let's all just right this second start buying GameStop. So when you all buy at the same time, when a lot of people buy at the same time, Retail, even if they're retail investors and not billionaires, there's only so much demand and so much supply at any given second. So if in the middle of the day, you start buying up the stock with uh, all your friends, you will spike the stock, even a big stock like GameStop. What happens is then the short squeeze happens and all the shorts, they start wondering, is there news? Is someone buying it? They don't know that there's a re uh, an obscure Reddit message board that's conspiring to all buy the stock at the same time. So short squeezes start to happen. People start to cover, which means that they're buying, which means the stock goes up even more, which means other people now not knowing what is going on say, what, this is crazy. And they start shorting and so on. The cycle that I mentioned before, the short squeeze starts to happen, further driving the stock up. And then what happened after that was 
as the stock was going up and it was clear that this was a short squeeze, you had guys like Elon Musk and Chamath, he was the head of marketing at Facebook and actually we used to correspond. So Chamath and Elon Musk decided, hey, let's get in on this. And it's very interesting that they get in on this, which I will tell you why in a second. But what Chamath and Elon did was, first off, Chamath in particular is known as a great investor. Elon Musk, you know, one or two richest man in the world, so he has deep pockets. So when the news of Chamath and Elon getting involved in GameStop was in the news, the stock went up even further because now everybody, everybody, like even you were aware that something's going on with this GameStop stock. And so Chamath bought stock at 115 and he closed it out this morning, according to a newspaper article. So Chamath probably made, oh, oh, he says what he made. He made a half a million dollars. He's a billionaire, so doesn't, wasn't lying. He donated it all to Barstool Sports Small Business Fund. So these big names got in. Now, why did Chamath and why did Elon Musk get in? Let's focus on Chamath for a second. So Chamath was head of marketing for Facebook, made probably his first billion there, and then he was a venture investor. But now Chamath is doing something very interesting. He's doing something called SPACs. And a SPAC stands for Special Purpose Acquisition Company. So a SPAC goes public, becomes a stock on the stock market, but very specifically has no business at all. All they do is raise money in an IPO. That's their only business. And then the only thing they're supposed to do after that legally is within 18 months, give or take, they have to buy a company. If you have a big private company, like like I think Chamath brought uh, Virgin Galactic and DraftKings public by starting one of these two different SPACs and then Virgin Galactic merged into one SPAC. So what happens is the SPAC changes its name to Virgin Galactic and all the money that the SPAC raised in the IPO goes to Virgin Galactic and the shareholders of the SPAC become shareholders of Virgin Galactic. And this is like a new way for companies to go public. And Chamath is probably the most successful person to ever do this. Let me see uh, some of Chamath's deals. Yeah, Virgin Galactic, Clover Health, SoFi, Open Door. Why is this connected to GameStop? It's connected in a very strong way. Chamath hates Wall Street and I pretty much agree with him. And what does it mean to hate Wall Street? Well, first of all, Chamath, you know, making his money in Facebook, he kind of comes out of Silicon Valley. Wall Street based in New York City is all of the bankers and, and so on. Now, when, when Wall Street takes a company public in its traditional IPO, usually they take a company public at like 20. They get all the shareholders to start buying the stock and the stock might instantly go up to 40 or 50. Silicon Valley hates this because they could have gone public at 50 and raise more money. Instead, they raise money at $20 a share instead of selling shares at $50 a share. And on top of that, they pay Wall Street all these fees. It could be up to five or 6% a fee to Goldman Sachs to take it public. So Silicon Valley constantly has thought for the past 30 years that Wall Street has been ripping it off. But there was no other alternative because how would they get shareholders for the companies that they were taking public? Well, that is until they started taking these SPACs public putting their own personal money into it. Like Chamath would put, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars into these SPACs himself. So he didn't even care if anybody else put money in and then taking companies public, like technology companies public through SPACs instead of through IPOs. So Silicon Valley and Chamath in particular, who's the most successful SPAC investor right now, Silicon Valley is trying to destroy Wall Street and not only Wall Street, but hedge funds, all these people, like I was in the hedge fund business for many years. 
And I can tell you, it's just a scummy business. Not everybody. I mean, I know a lot of hedge fund managers who are really good, honest, decent people and, you know, are always looking for good companies and good deals. But there is so much illegal activity. There's all the basics like insider trading, but then there's all this stock manipulation. And also, you know, a lot of people were criticizing this GameStop event by saying, hey, a bunch of retail investors shouldn't conspire together on Reddit to drive the stock up. Well, why not? Hedge funds have been doing that forever, forever, since, since 1900 or earlier. And Buffett did it. Every hedge fund does it. They call up their hedge fund buddies and say, what are you buying? Oh, I'm taking a look at this stock. What do you think? Oh yeah, it looks good. Let's buy it. And so then they all kind of, they don't call you. They don't call me. They don't put an article in the Wall Street Journal. They meet, uh, as Chamath said, they meet in their Hamptons homes for brunch and you know have mimosas and talk what companies they're gonna soar to the stars. So Chamath, quite rightly, hates that. Hates the IPOs, hates the Wall Street banks, hates the hedge funds. He thinks hedge funds manipulate stocks down by short selling and writing these short selling reports that may or may not be true, but scare everyone away from a stock. I've been hurt so many times by short sellers who don't know what they're doing and they just like crush a stock because everyone says, oh, short sellers are smarter than stock buyers or whatever. So Chamath, he likes activities like SPACs or like this retail, the retail investor on Reddit, using Reddit, just did what hedge funds have been doing for decades. And guys like the CNBC anchors are all like, oh, this should be illegal. We need to look into this. This is not fair. Who got hurt? Well, people who took unnecessary risks got hurt. Now you know not to take those kind of risks. And I feel bad for anybody who was a retail investor who lost money on this, but don't short. You're only short for a few years before you realize this is a bad idea. But the people who really got hurt were multi-billion dollar hedge funds who are correctly convinced that GameStop isn't eventually going to go out of business, but they just were acting like it was a done deal. And Chamath and Elon Musk and all the retail investors on Reddit proved them wrong. And they created a short squeeze that basically bankrupted millionaires, potentially billionaires, and anybody else who was short the stock. And a lot of people, a lot of retail investors made money. This is retail. This is the mom and pop individual investor taking power back from Wall Street. And you could say, well, Chamath and Elon Musk are clearly not the mom and pop investor, but they didn't start this. They just piggybacked on this, but they saw that this was something that was anti-Wall Street. And so they said, okay, let's, let's do this because this is gonna show Wall Street that the retail investor, they're using tools like Reddit and Robinhood and message boards and so on to make investing decisions that are, by the way, not bad. It was not, a, I mean, clearly, GameStop has gone from four to 300, regardless of the reason, anyone who bought it for did a good thing. If they, particularly if they held it to now, which I never would have done, I would have sold it at like eight. Oh, I'm up hundred percent on a company going bankrupt. I'll sell it at eight. And then the next time I looked, it would have been at 300 and I would have kicked myself. But this essentially is what happened. Now, a couple issues. Did the retail investors technically manipulate the stock? Is that illegal? To be honest, I don't really know. My guess is it's not, it's in a gray area. There are a lot of gray areas on wall street, which is why hedge funds get away with so much. And I've, I've, I've seen a lot of hedge funds get away with amazing things that they never got prosecuted for because there aren't any laws. There's very few laws. I, I mean, I should be in charge of the securities and exchange commission, which regulates the stock market because I know where all the 
bodies are buried. I could tell you all the laws these guys are breaking or should, they should be laws. Like, do you know, I think the SEC started in 1936. Do you know who the first head of the SEC was? Who? Well, so the SEC uh, was started by Roosevelt to regulate and oh, get really? criminals rid, rid of, out of the stock market. And it was created by Roosevelt, but he put the young Joseph P. Kennedy as the first person in charge of the SEC. Joseph Kennedy was, of course, John F. Kennedy's father, the future president of the United States. He was a known, I don't want to say criminal, but he was definitely living in the gray area. He was one of the youngest bank presidents in the country, and he was a big investor, probably did a lot of inside trading because it was mostly legal back then. And he was put in charge of the SEC because let the crook be in charge of the jail is, was the theory because then he'll find everything, all the illegal activity. So I don't know if what the retail investors did was legal or not, but what it does is between things like SPACs and companies like AngelList, which Chamath is heavily involved in, as well as Naval Ravikant uh, was, uh, was, is the founder of AngelList and has been on this podcast, AngelList is a way for the everyday investor to invest in private companies, which previously was not allowed. But Naval did a really good job lobbying the government to make it legal for the average mom and pop investor to invest in private companies, which is really where most of the gains are. So stuff like AngelList, these SPACs that I mentioned earlier, and the fact that retail investors are now working together using tools like Reddit to stop these short sellers from taking control of companies, I think is a really great, almost democratic activity. And guys like Chamath are super smart. It always pays attention to not only look at what they're doing, but look at why they're doing it. Because the why is more often more important than the what. So why they are doing this is they are trying to restore or actually trans transfer financial power of the world from Wall Street to Main Street. And I believe they're being successful. So you can now invest in companies like a Virgin Galactic at a reasonable price. And you don't have to be a privileged customer of Goldman Sachs to get shares of DraftKings or Virgin Galactic or any of these other companies that went public through SPACs. And again, they like to see the retail investor. I mean, this is maybe the first time in history that the, the retail investor teaming up screwed multi-billion dollar hedge funds. And Chamath wanted to be a part of it. So I give I give power to him. And you know, it looks like right now their next target is, do you know what their next target is? It's AMC, the movie theater chain. Yes, it's totally true. Airbnb has changed my life. If anything, they have made my life so much better. Like I used to live in Airbnbs. I, I lived in over a hundred or 200 different Airbnbs over a three-year period. And I loved it. I love, I became a really good guest of Airbnbs and I got to know lots of hosts. So when I initially owned a house, I, of course, the first thing I thought was I'm going to turn my house into an Airbnb because I travel a lot. So why leave my house unused when I can make a side income by letting others Airbnb my house or come to stay in my house as guests and having my own Airbnb or, or being a host for Airbnb has allowed me to do just that. 
and I've met other hosts. I've actually spoken at Airbnb's host conference. I think it was in 2017. I met so many just nice hosts. It's a great community. And I love, you know, turning my own home into an Airbnb. Like I'm traveling to Austin next month. My home's going to be an Airbnb while I'm away and I'll stay in an Airbnb. I'd rather stay in like a three-story house Airbnb than in one tiny hotel room in, in the middle of Austin during South by Southwest. So listen, while you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Many people host on Airbnb, but there are people who are just letting their house sit empty, who've never thought about it or didn't realize their space could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, then you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Daylight savings time is starting up again. Okay, podcast is over. That's all you needed to know. But why do we have uh, daylight savings time? Answer, to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting your clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day that initial, when we initially start daylight savings. But if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There's only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to find qualified candidates for you. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100-plus job sites so you reach more of the right people. This is such a brilliant idea for a business, and ZipRecruiter did it. So ZipRecruiter's smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. I've used ZipRecruiter particularly as a potential employee, and I still, to this day, get messages every day. James Aldicher, would you like to apply to be VP of entertainment at NBC or whatever. So there's just nonstop emails. Like I got five or six emails today because of because a year ago I signed up for ZipRecruiter. So spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Hey, listen, men's health is important. Men act all cocky and like they don't need anything. But the reality is, as you get older, there's some things you need. And it often feels like we're too busy to take care of our health problems. Like I'd rather do anything then go to the doctor or the dentist or the pharmacy or whatever. But now you don't have to waste your time if you use HIMS. HIMS, H-I-M-S, HIMS is changing men's healthcare by providing simple and convenient access to science-backed treatments for erectile dysfunction, hair loss, weight loss, and more. The entire process is 100% online, so you get a new routine of improving your overall health faster. Jay, you listening to all this? Yes, I definitely gonna use him for now. Not that you need it. You're you're young and healthy, James. I'm 35. You're getting there. You might you might need it. Who knows? But if prescribed, your medication ships directly to you for free and indiscreet packaging. No insurance is needed. 
You can manage your plan on the Hims app, track progress, and learn more about your conditions and how to treat them from leading medical experts. Start your free online visit today at hymns.com slash James. Could you imagine that there's a whole section just with my name on it? Hymns.com slash James. That's how I how much I am representative of the kind of person who needs hymns. That's HIMS.com slash James for your personalized treatment options. Hymns.com slash James. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See hymns.com slash James for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. AMC is up 300% today. It went from five. Yesterday, it was five. And now it's actually, it was in the fours yesterday. A month ago, it was in the twos. And now it's at 20. So you know you know why it was in the twos? Because no one's gone to a goddamn movie theater in the past 10 months. Yep. And there are no movies open. I know this because I released a top 10 movie in, what month was that? Was it July? I released one of the top 10 movies in the country because I knew no movie theaters were open. So I released Choose Yourself, which is now on Amazon Prime. I released Choose Yourself in the movies so that I could be in contention for the Oscars. And I was in the top 10 because all the movie studios were closed except for this one right. chain in Kissimmee, Florida. So it was a, an experiment that I did. But AMC is now the next target and it's working. Like, let's see, uh, what was the, let me just, just see what the volume was today on AMC. So how many people bought the stock as opposed to how many people normally buy the stock? So, okay, this is a pretty interesting. So this a billion shares of AMC traded today a billion all right it's close now right mm -hmm. yeah it's closed now and a month ago less than a month ago two million shares a day were trading and the stock was in the twos now the stock is 20 and a billion shares traded so retail is getting very powerful and the the ceo of Robinhood, which is a very retail oriented stock trader uh, he even says retail investors are now feeling empowered and this is true so I think this is a good thing, but I think, again, the important lesson for me is to ask, you always have to look one layer deep. It's not about GameStop. It's not about short squeezes. It's not about tricks to make money. It's about an overall trend now that the tools and the wherewithal are available for retail investors, for the average Main Street investor to now have just as much power, if not more power in the markets than Goldman Sachs or the big hedge funds or Morgan Stanley or the billionaires because retail investors as a group are just as powerful or if not more powerful. I think this is an exciting trend, you know, power to Chamath and Elon Musk and anybody else who was involved in this. Here's one final thing I will add because it's about Bitcoin. So it's very interesting because the news of the day was GameStop. This was the most important news of the day. Like people don't care anymore about politics. Now it's back to business. The business of business is business, as they say. So it's interesting that GameStop went up 200 points and AMC went up 300%, but the Dow went down 600 points. The NASDAQ went down 355 points. This must be the biggest drop in a very long time. And why did these major market indices go down? Well, first off, Wall Street doesn't like what happened. 
But even bigger, and this is the insidious part, is that what happened in the past few days shows that the markets are not as stable. And stable might be the wrong word. People might laugh at that word because when was Wall Street ever really stable? But they're not as safe as people thought. And again, nobody thinks investing is the safest thing you could do in the world. But the fact that these stocks are so easily manipulated by a couple of people on Reddit is a little scary to investors. And so nobody wants to be stuck in a stock that's being manipulated either up or down. Now, it doesn't matter to people that billionaires have been manipulating stocks for years, hedge funds and banks have been manipulating stocks for a century or more than one, two centuries at least, or ever since the Dutch were trading coffee futures in the 1600s, they've been manipulated. Tulips were manipulated in the early 1800s. But, you know, people want to trust that the market is being taken care of and run by what they view as professionals. They don't see retail investors as professionals and they don't see Reddit as the same quality place as the Wall Street Journal or CNBC, although I could tell you it probably is right now. So they get scared. And whenever investors feel uncertain or scared, they sell. The stock market is a barometer of uncertainty, not a barometer of the health of the economy. The economy is not that great right now because of the economic lockdowns, but the stock market's been going up because ever since the stimulus bill was passed on March 26th of 2020, um, the stock market had a little bit more certainty that perhaps we'll get through the economic lockdowns. And, you know, now there's more stimulus coming. So that should be, you know, all that money eventually finds its way into the markets. But what financial asset do people run to if the stock market is uncertain? Well, it used to be maybe they would run to gold or oil or whatever, but now much more viable is Bitcoin. And I won't go into all the reasons why so I, I went on CNBC in, I believe it was uh, May 2013, about why I like Bitcoin. That was when Bitcoin was at $61 a coin. Uh, I went on CNBC in September of 2017. And when Bitcoin was at 3000 I said, I said, eventually it's going to be a million. Of course, now it's at 30000 up from 3000 in September 2017. And Bitcoin, which again is a Silicon Valley creation, don't ignore it now. I'm not saying, I'm not recommending it either, by the way. I'm just saying I own some Bitcoin. I will say that. And I'm, I'm saying that if you think, I'll, I'll say, here's what Naval Ravikant said to me once. And he said this in 2013. If you think Bitcoin has a 1% chance of being the world's currency, put 1% of your portfolio in Bitcoin. And that was good advice. I think that's reasonable advice to avoid too much risk. But again, Bitcoin, SPACs, AngelList and what's happening with GameStop and AMC and, and slash, you know, Robinhood slash Reddit. These are all ways that Silicon Valley is taking power away from Wall Street and even Washington, D.C. in terms of Bitcoin as a currency. That's why it's very interesting always to study the why, because then you could start looking further out. Oh, maybe I should buy Chamath's other specs. So he has reserved the stock symbols IPOA, IPOB, IPOC, all the way up to IPOZ. I don't know which ones are public and which ones haven't done a deal yet, but I like Shema's style of thinking. He's a very smart guy. It's not an unreasonable strategy to invest in the SPACs that he started. And they're all, they all trade on the NASDAQ or the New York Stock Exchange.
And most of them, I believe, have not done deals yet. So an AngelList, I encourage people to check that out. Uh, its sister company, Republic, also has a lot of good deals on it. And Bitcoin is also a, a financial product out of Silicon Valley, of course. So that's going to be interesting. And then, you know, I don't know how to get in these short squeeze frenzies like happen on Reddit because, you know, now that that one message group on Reddit has, has dominated the discussion, it's going to be too popular. So all the main players will probably start a new message group somewhere. And I promise you, if I find out what it is, I will let people know. But suffice to say, this is a very interesting trend right now that's happening. This is sort of a stock market lesson, but this is kind of a lesson about how there's no such thing as religion in business, meaning just because Wall Street dominated the financial markets for 250 years doesn't mean it's going to dominate it for the next 250 years. And it's really interesting to see what these really smart people who have enormous, enormous financial resources, like they're richer than anybody else on the planet. It's interesting to observe what they're doing, what Jeff Bezos is doing, what Elon Musk is doing, what Chamath is doing, what people like Naval Ravikant is doing. So that's the takeaway from this. And the other takeaway being is that if you're listening and you're a mom and pop investor and you think, hey, I have no edge over Wall Street, you're correct, but there's opportunities now to have an edge or at least to piggyback the efforts of, of people like Chamath who do have an edge. And I would say don't invest unless you have what you feel is an unfair advantage, unless you can identify your edge. But there are edges you can find now, and they tend to be more on the West Coast than the East Coast. I'll tell you one quick story. There was one hedge fund, I was invested in it actually, and I pulled out of the hedge fund fairly early on, like around 2005 or 2006. I won't say what fund it is, but this guy, one of the, one of the investors called me up later and said, hey, did you get your money back? And I said, yeah, uh, I did. And he said, I still can't get my money back. And fortunately, I had suspected something was wrong with this fund. I couldn't put my finger on it, but I didn't like it. So I pulled all my money out of it early, but this guy never did. And the fund manager, let's say his name was Paul. That's not his name, but let's just say his name was Paul. Paul had basically stolen $10 million from the fund and put it in his pocket. But the way he did it was in one of these gray area ways. So I, after this investor told me about this, I looked up all the filings. There was a case with the SEC and I looked it all up and I was even thinking to myself, hmm, it was definitely unethical what he did. He basically stole money from the fund and claimed it was fees that he earned. What he did was not illegal. It was sort of in the fine print, but it's a very gray area and it was certainly unethical what he did, the very specifics of what he did. And I knew following the case, the SEC was going to have a hard time with this. So here's what happened. He stole $10 million and the SEC, all they could do, they fined him. He had to pay a fine and the fine was $50,000. And then he completely disappeared. Like he got off Facebook, Twitter, all social media. If you email him now, the email bounces. And believe me, I've tried, can't find him anywhere. So I don't know if he left the country or whatever, but he had a solid $10 million that he stole from his business and from all his investors, including me. Now, it didn't really affect me that much. I was invested in a lot of different funds. So it was a very small amount for me, but this other guy was very was hurting and he ended up getting sued by his investors, this other guy who had called me. And I think he's still even working through that like 10 years later. But Wall Street's a really 
shady place, but that doesn't mean everyone there is shady. It just means that it's a nice thing that there are structures coming around to give everybody power on Wall Street. And, and this is a testament to creativity and to research and to understanding the markets and business and learning how to express your own opinion in a unique way like this guy Chamath is doing. And you could see everything he's working on is gradually dwindling away the power of Wall Street and, and eventually Washington, D.C. So I don't mean to do a stock market podcast. I will never do one again. I promise. I hate talking about this stuff on the podcast. This is a podcast about peak performance, but it's interesting to see. These guys are clearly peak performers. I've, of course, had huge hedge fund managers like Ray Dalio and uh, all sorts of people on this podcast, but I just kind of wanted to weigh in on what's going on with GameStop and why it's important. Can you benefit directly from GameStop? I have no idea. Whatever you do, don't short it. Uh, but keep an eye out. And maybe the way to benefit, again, is keep an eye out on the bigger picture also, the, the why of what these guys are doing. So, Jay, any any further thoughts on this? Anything I should add to? Uh, no, I mean, like, it's very thorough. And it's 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 funny because I was never in stock at all. Like, it just, this game stock come my attention. And that's why I asked you, like, hey, I think you should do a podcast on there because you sort of just explain what's going on and you have been in uh, Wall Street for so long, you know what's going on behind the scene. Yeah, and I haven't seen any article link what's happening with GameStop with a bigger picture of what's happening. There's a battle raging between Wall Street and Silicon Valley that people aren't even really aware of, but it started with Bitcoin. Remember when Bitcoin in 2017, all the Silicon Valley people were super pro Bitcoin, of course, and guys like Jamie Dimon, the head of JP Morgan, was saying, oh, Bitcoin's a fad, and now JP Morgan's building their own Bitcoin products. Yeah. So, you know, then there's AngelList, which I know for Naval has been almost a beautiful struggle as he built up this company. And there's all these things going on that are potential to make money and give more opportunities to make money. And I think this is a, a, a great trend. It's a revolution of the power, right? You know, the mom and pop shops trying to get the power back. I'm just curious, what do you think the future is going to be? Like, so let's say if this war rages on, because it's almost like a war, right? Like you said, it's like a war. Yeah. I mean, look, uh, they have a war on many levels. Like, Media businesses traditionally are located in New York City. Well, with media businesses like the New York Times, for instance, and big magazine companies and so on. Well, guess what? Twitter and Facebook have already won that war. That war is yeah. over. And every newspaper company is now just a fashion statement. Like the New York Times, I believe, is owned by Carlos Slim, one of the richest men in the world. It doesn't make a dent in his net worth. He's worth $70 billion, and the New York Times is worth a few hundred million. But he likes owning the New York Times. The Washington Post, one of the most famous newspapers in the world. Guess who owns it? Jeff Bezos. So Washington Post was going out of business practically. And Jeff Bezos, he doesn't need it. He's worth $180 billion. For him, it's just a toy. But basically, Twitter, Facebook, and these Silicon Valley billionaires have won the media war. I don't know yet if that's a good thing. It's not really that great to have one group of people control all the... I mean, that's why people... And I don't think it's good or bad. This is not a political statement. I don't think people should be getting banned on social media. I think government right. free speech applies to Twitter. And there's legal precedent that, that places like Twitter are a digital... Jack Dorsey himself, the CEO of Twitter, has called it a digital public square. And I agree with him. That Which means if it's a public square, it's got to abide by 
the rules of a government, of the public. And that's laid out by the Constitution, freedom of speech. You have the Ayatollah of Iran talking about dropping bombs on Israel and on Jews, and he doesn't get banned, but uh, just some random guy says something that somebody else doesn't like. I mean, this person got banned on Twitter. I don't think that's really fair when, unless you're gonna ban everybody like who, right. who talks about war or genocide like this Ayatollah from Iran. And look, he's constantly trashing the United States, which is fine. I think he should. He has freedom of speech and he hates the United States. But it's funny if you're a US citizen and you hate, and, and by the way, I love the United States, but I'm perfectly happy to have a forum where anybody can say anything. And the fact that some people are getting banned suggests to me that it's not always a good thing when a war like this is won. And, and forever after, only messages they want you to hear will be heard, and messages that they don't want you to hear will not be heard. This is the road to fascism. Not that these companies are fascist, and not that anything they've done is fascist, it's just a brick on the path. And so it's, it's a cause for concern. Again, we're not at the point maybe where we should be concerned. People should keep this in the back of their mind. But to answer your question, now there's a war happening on the financial markets. And should we be concerned? No, I think right, this is right, right now a very extremely healthy thing. And it's getting people very excited. And there's a lot of money now in the markets because of, you know, there's an extra $19 trillion on the planet because of all the different stimulus packages around the world. That money is going to end up one way or the other in the stock market at some point. And there's gonna be more stimulus coming. Now, will this lead to inflation? So far, so good. Not yet, because the uses of technology are increasing faster than our need for technology. So that's increasing the productivity of companies, which reduces the risk of inflation, no matter how much money is printed. That won't last forever. And there's other reasons why inflation is not so big in the US right now. I won't get into it. This is not an economics podcast, but the stock market is going to be a very interesting place these next few years, and, and um, it's going to be very interesting to see this war continue. By the way, I'm happy if AMC stays in business because at one point, a division of AMC was talking to the comedy club about potentially acquiring it. The, the, the AMC owns, I believe, a, a comedy agency that buys comedy clubs. So we'll see. Knocking on glass right now that AMC... <laughs> goes to $500 a share and they stay in business, but I kind of doubt it. This is just a temporary thing. Anyway, if people like this podcast, let me know. Uh, if you have any questions or Q&A, ask on Twitter and I will respond to all questions either on Twitter or in this podcast. This was gonna be a more traditional Q&A, but that, I focused on that one question instead because it's so much in the news right now. And this podcast is probably coming out tomorrow or oh, the next day. I'm, yep. We're recording this. Yeah, we're recording this Wednesday night, so it'll come out Friday at like two or three in the morning. Yep. Yeah. And so thanks uh, very much, Jay. What's your, what's your Twitter handle? You have to let people know your Twitter handle. Oh, Jay Altucher. J-A-L-T-U-C-H-E-R. And by the way, if you want, buy Skip the Line on Amazon. It's my book coming out February 23rd. You could pre-order it and that helps me a lot. Thanks a lot, Jay. I appreciate it. And good luck to everybody. I hope this answers some questions. Thank you. Mm -hmm.